Welcome to the Misty Music Podcast. I'm David, and normally with me is Lucy. So myself and Lucy are, um, we're kind of conflicting schedules a lot of the time. Lucy's exceptionally busy with, um, she's got a full-time job and she's doing a uni course at the moment, and I'm, my schedule with other things is just clashing. We just can't get the dates together. But I had a bit of free time, so I thought, what I'll do is I'll do something really quickly, pull something together, and get something out there, just to let you all know that we are still there, and we will be returning. So rather than leave it too late, before we get another episode out, I thought what I would do is just go solo and give you a little mini episode just now, just to keep things ticking over, um, until myself and Lucy can get ourselves together and record the next episode, which will be Stevie Wonders and Her Visions. So looking forward to talking about that, as I'm sure Lucy is too. Well, I don't know yet because uh, we haven't spoke about it yet, so it'll be interesting uh, to find out. Um, but as I said, I thought I'd throw a little um, mini episode out just now, um, and this is going to be about Tin Machine. Now, probably most people know what that means. It probably evokes a few different things when you mention the name Tin Machine, but for most people, they will know that it is a David Bowie project. Um, at the time when the first album was released in 1989, uh, Mr. Bowie would be talking about how it, Tin Machine was a band and he was just one member of that band, etc. Um, but I'll leave you guys to judge what you think of that. If you think it was a band or it was it was a, a David Bowie project, it's, it's up to you to decide that. I've got a long history with this album. Um, I actually had it the year it came out. Um, I was 10 years old and I actually got it from uh, a local shop. Um, it was like a post office type shop. Um, it was, you know, it sells stationery and things like that, but it also had a, a music section and would always be knocked down uh, vinyl uh, on sale and I got the Tin Machine album in that section. Um, I can't remember exactly what I paid for it, but I'm going to imagine it was about £4 or something, £5 maybe. Prior to that, I'd heard Under the God, um, and that was largely down to my older brother, Paul, who um, I think he'd been reading about um, this new project in magazines such as Kerrang! and Raw, which were about at the time, and they were more metal, hard rock magazines. But I think given the nature of this album, these magazines suddenly were a bit more interested in, in David Bowie again. So yeah, so I think um, Paul, my brother, was certainly very interested in this uh, direction that Bowie was taking. Even the video for Under the God was on uh, the metal video show, which was called The Power Hour. And The Power Hour was out um, in the late 80s, and the Under the God video was on there. So... Yeah, that, that kind of piqued my interest because I did like the song a lot. Um, thought it had a lot of aggression, a lot of attitude. And so, yeah, I was I was kind of interested. So, yeah, I wanted to hear a bit more. So that's why I, I got the album. And I did play it um, a lot. Um, again, I think I probably at that point only had about three, four albums to my name. You know, obviously just starting out my journey um, as a record collector. And... Um, so yeah, it did get a lot of love and a lot of attention simply because it was mine and it was one of the few albums that I actually did own myself. Um, so there might be a bit of bias in my opinion towards this album, um, you know, which I will accept. 
but the thing is, um, I know at the time when the album came out, you know, it was, you know, it was kind of dismissed and stuff. Um, but I only really found this out later on. I didn't really realise at the time that it was slated. To me, it was just an album that I really, I really liked, and um, you know, and David Bowie happened to be singing on it. And that's a strange thing. Uh, um, I I didn't really know much about David Bowie's stuff. Um, he's he's proper solo stuff. Um, at that point. But I knew the Tin Machine album really well, which is probably sounds a little bit weird. It's kind of like if you're a Queen fan um, and knowing Hot Space, but not really knowing the rest of <laughs> the rest of their albums. Um, it's a bit like that, maybe. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't really know. I didn't really know it was it was panned or people were a bit confused by the situation. It wasn't really till later years when I started getting into my teen years and you maybe be reading articles and people would start talking about the Tin Machine album in a negative way, and I never got it, I never understood it. Before I sort of expand on my feelings for this album a little bit more, um, I just want to give you the background to the album, in case you're not too familiar with it. So, in the 1980s, um, David Bowie was huge. I mean, he was massive. He was a household name. He was up there with Michael Jackson and Madonna and all these people. Um, in terms of popularity, I mean, of course, he was a massive artist before that, uh, but in terms of accessibility, you know, your your average person on the street would be able to tell you that they know China Girl and Let's Dance and things like that. Um, that was a big, big change for 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 Boy. So he he became a pop artist basically, and um, it was that for quite a period of time in the eighties. Um, but I think um, to quote. Mr. Boy himself, he said it was great I'd become accessible to a huge audience but not terribly fulfilling. So, yeah, he, he was he was getting, you know, commercial success but not necessarily, um, you know, it wasn't feeding his soul, basically. Um, and he needed something something else going on musically that was that was making him, I guess, feel like an artist again. Um, this is, these are my words, of course, not, not Mr. Boy's. But yeah, I think it's safe to say that was that was the case. Um, so he decided to team up with uh, Reeves Gabriel, um, Hunt and Tony Sales, who were brothers, and they'd played with uh, Iggy Pop on the Lost for Life album. And yeah, he teamed up with them to form a band, basically. And this was basically them jamming and demoing stuff, and eventually it became Tin Machine. So the first album came out in 1989, and what was happening is they were listening to a lot of different music. So what Reeves uh, Gabriel said was that if there was a plan, it was that David just wanted to make uh, the music that he wanted to make. One cool thing was that we were listening to all the same stuff. Led Zeppelin bootlegs, Cream bootlegs, Hendrix bootlegs, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, Coltrane, The Pixie, Sonic Youth, Glenn Branca, Stravinsky... John Lee Hooker, Buddy Guy, Junior Wells and Muddy Waters. Put all that in a blender and you got Tin Machine. I think the thing for me is what I've been reading, you know, a lot about recently when I was just looking up um, people's opinions on Tin Machine and and I guess, you know, getting a bit more background on, on the overall picture and the story. Um, there's this sort of parallel with grunge, this, this sort of... It, it, yeah, it's been talked in the same, you know, the same breath as grunge, and I never really understood that because I, you know, I was very young when the grunge movement happened, but I was there, I was, I was experiencing it um, at that time, you know, 
I was listening to all these albums. I was listening to Nevermind. I was listening to Ten and and Bad Motor Finger and and all these albums. So yeah, I would never look at the Tin Machine album and think, yeah, that's a precursor to grunge or this was happening. You know, this was ahead of its time in terms of being a grunge album. I don't see that at all um, or hear that at all. Although. I guess there are some arguments to why people thought that. I think given they were saying they were listening to the Pixies and Sonic Youth and things, these were bands that, that predated the, the, the grunge movement, if you if you want to even call it a movement or a style. Um, but certainly when that, before those bands hit it huge, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, yeah, you had Sonic Youth, you had the Pixies, and I would say you had the Melvins as well, these kind of bands that were um, very noisy guitar bands. And then, of course, obviously, as as Bowie and Reeves Gabriel can admit that they were listening to to these bands um, at the time. So I guess there is something in there, but equally, you know, they're listening to a lot of blues. And on the Tin Machine album, there's there's loads of blues on it, um, no doubt about it. So I don't really know... It's, it's maybe a bit lazy, as far as I'm concerned, just to say that um, it, it's, it's twofold for me. I'm not going to give it the credit of predating grunge and all this kind of stuff because when grunge hit it big, it was just because it became popular. It was still a thing. Or these bands were still making albums at the same time as this. For example, Nirvana had Bleach out in 1989. Soundgarden had Louder Than Love out in 1989. So, you know, where, where, do, you, where do you draw the line here? So, I don't think it's before it's time or anything like that to, in relation to grunge. And I just don't think the timelines really work for that to that to be a thing. What I do think is they did want to make a very a very angular album, a very aggressive album, and a very noisy album. And I think they achieved it, for the most part. So I suppose the loud, um, angular stuff... Um, that they were talking about, yeah, those bands that we were discussing earlier on, I mean, those, I guess, so sub-pop bands and things like that, you know, they had a lot of these things going on in their music. Um, so, if we're talking in broad terms, I guess, yeah, fair enough. Um, the main thing is, no one's used the word plagiarism um, when they talk about Tin Machine, so I don't think there's any suggestion of, of that at all. Um, I think what happens is, is as Reeves Gabriel said, they've taken all the music they were listening to at that time, the, the music that was exciting them again, whether it be old or new, and they've just distilled it into, into Tin Machine. And at the end of the day, it's, it's basically you know up to the listener to decide if it's good, bad, or in the middle, or, or whatever. you know. And that's the whole point, I guess, um, at the end of the day. But again, even just to rewind slightly and talk about the, those angular sounds, those noisy sounds... Um, I mean, Bowie was doing that kind of stuff in the 70s anyway, particularly towards the end of the, the 70s. You know, even if you think about a song like Fashion, um, with that abrasive guitar over the top, that angular abrasive guitar, courtesy of Mr. Robert Fripp, um, you know, it, it was there as well. So uh, it's not as if, you know, <laughs> I hear a lot of sounds on the Tin Machine album and I think, yeah, that we've heard this before in Bowie's catalogue, um, not to the same extent, of course, but yeah. Why don't we discuss some of the songs on the album? Um, it, there's quite a lot of songs, and and this is the, the odd thing because there's um, there's actually fourteen songs in the album, but um, my vinyl version only had twelve. So there was two songs that weren't included in uh, the version that I knew and loved when I was growing up. 
um, and it was Run and Sacrifice Yourself, um, both weren't on that album. Um, so it went from video crime to baby can dance to finished off the album. Um, but yeah, I mean both of those songs I think are are very good, and it was good to when I got the the reissue CD that I think I got in the nineties. Um, had those on on it, so um, it was nice to hear them. For me, firstly, the production is to me excellent. Uh, I listened to this album again today, and it sounds excellent. It's it's just a, such a great mix. It's loud. It's it's all the things that I think they wanted to achieve as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, they talked about wanting to make an album a certain way and I think they achieved it. Um, you get sometimes when artists say, yeah, we want it to sound like this and, you know, can't wait to see it, you know, and you hear it and you go, well, that's really, you're not really kind of lived up to expectations here. But to me, this is just a very noisy, very abrasive um, bundle of joy for me. You know, um, I love it, but that speaks to me as a as a guy that does love loud and and angry music. You know, so um, I get it. it it's just, I guess it's just interesting um, at this moment in time for boy fans. You know, because you've had the boy, the eighties boy fans, the ones that get into the the hit machine that boy became, and then you'll have the the fans that maybe just rode that out and just kind of went along with it just because of our boy fans. And for some of them, was this a kind of a return to form for some people? Could have been. Um, for some people, this could have been, oh, I really wanted to get back on form, but you kind of just haven't done it. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's all for, for the fans out there to decide. But for me, just it's just a, it's just a, it's an excellent album and one that I'd go back to quite regularly and listen to. Um uh, t- to me, standout tracks, um, Heavens in Here, excellent opener, um, Reeves Gabriel's guitar, again, that, that kind of really borderline out of tune guitar is just fantastic, and that continues on to the title track, again, another favourite of mine, Tin Machine, um, the drum sound on it is just so good, um, and... Prisoner of Love is, is cool. Crack City, I think, is excellent. I mean, again, it is very much like Wild Thing. I think a review mentioned it was a bit like that. It is a bit like uh, Wild Thing um, on Crack, maybe, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, I Can't Read, I think, is excellent. I think it's one of these ones that I I just always enjoyed listening to, even as a kid. I kind of didn't really know what I was listening to, to be honest, with this song. Um, why it kind of sounded the way it sounded why it, you know why boy was kind of going away off key and his vocals and stuff and why it was all out of tune and all the rest of it um, but I, I, it was sucking me in there was something about it I just couldn't I couldn't really put my finger on it but it just stuck with me and it is one of my favourites on the album I think, it's, I think it's superb Under the God could I mention that at the start there I think is is just absolutely sublime, man. Um, good rocker, pretty straightforward. I love the anti-fascist lyrics, um, which I suppose is um, interesting given some of uh, Mr. Bowie's views in the seventies. Um, some of the, the the interviews he was given about Hitler, you know, and and all the rest of it. Amazing. I think is I think could be a Bowie song. To be honest, I think that's very, you know, it's 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 very accessible. Probably one of the ones on it that you would say. Um, you could probably play someone and they would go, all right, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, working class hero. Um, 
the song's cool. I mean, obviously it's a John Lennon song, as everyone knows, um, but his voice on this is is, is excellent. You know, um, I really love it when and Bowie pushes his voice into those really gritty, um, aggressive kind of kind of tones. But I love all, all the different ways that uh, that Bowie sings. You know, um, all his you know his incarnations. Bus stop, excellent, pretty thing, yeah, decent. Video crime, I, I love. I think video crime is one of one of my favourites as well. Run and sacrifice yourself again. Good tracks, and baby can dance was never really one of my favourites, but um, I think again in more recent lessons and being an older man now, uh, I think I enjoy it a lot more. But again, it's a bunch of songs. I just think it's. I just think it works for me, um, and it's so bizarre. Growing up, as I said, growing up and finding out that this is this is like the black sheep of uh, Bowie's uh, catalogue. Um, was kind of weird to me um, to find that out kind of after the fact, a lot later after the fact. I did listen to Tin Machine 2 um, at the time and I did try and go back to it again but I just cannot feel that album on, unfortunately. I just don't, I think maybe they lost it. Um, this is my own personal opinion on that one. Um, so it's not, not been something that's ever, I've tried that a few times and I just cannot, I cannot get with it at all. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe the writing was on the wall anyway, that they, they kind of, you know, David had to go back and, uh, revisit his, his actual solo career and then take it from there. But I think he pushed on after that, you know, he, you know, he went to outside, which is which is again experimental with Brian Eno being back in there, the drum and bass of Earthling, and and then a bit more, a bit more adult with ours. But I think Tin Machine is is up there with some of his best work, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think Black Star, the last album, was was one of his best pieces of work, and you know you obviously get Low in the seventies and and Heroes and. Station to Station, I love Young Americans. There's so much good good stuff, absolutely. But I would put on Tin Machine before I put on some of uh, some of uh, Bowie's work. You know, um, I don't know if that's true of, of every fan, but certainly for me it is. Um, but the interesting thing is they, they they went on tour with the Tin Machine album. Um, I think they only played twelve dates in total. Um, with the band, there was a review for Herald Scotland in 1989, and this was reviewing um, Tin Machine Live, and it's from Alistair Mackay, and he said, "For all their experience, the band are poor timekeepers, and Boy's voice is at sea with the very notion of high volume aggression." The grinning Boy promised his group would return to repeat the experience in the new year. This raised just one question: Why? Now, um, I thought that was really harsh, and I thought, "Geez, that's pretty scathing." Um, but I did watch some uh, some footage of the the band live again recently, um, just to reacquaint myself. And I, I kind of can't disagree at certain points. At certain points, the timekeeping is bloody awful. Um, and I know that even in, even in the album, it's kind of it's there's kind of almost like deliberate mistakes and there's stumbles and. And there's bits that are just kind of off the cuff, and they're meant to be. You know, you understand that they're meant to be. It's part of the the kind of I guess the what they were trying to create. I guess the chaos they were trying to create with the album, if you want to call it that. But the um, but live it did sound very ropey at times. Um, but when they were on it, when they were locked in and and playing properly, you know, it was quite a 
it is quite a sound. Um, it really is. It's like a a brick wall sound. It's really good. And and boy's voice for me is just brilliant when he and I, and that's the part of that review that I don't agree with um, about uh, boy's voice at sea with the notion of high volume aggression. Not at all. Boy's matching that aggression very well in these life life songs that I've certainly seen. Um, he's pushing his voice. It's it's cutting up. It's raspy. It's aggressive. So he's achieving it in every level, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, but bit confused by that that part of it. But yeah, timekeeping wise, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll concede to that a little bit. But yeah, anyway, that's that's. I'm just going to leave it there. It was just a little um, a little episode, a little mini episode, just for me to kind of uh, get just get a few things off my chest about Tin Machine and to say how much I love this album and continue to play it. And yeah, so I mean that's the thing. I don't even know what Lucy thinks of Tin Machine. She might like it, she might not. Lucy's a massive Bowie fan, and we've talked about Bowie, but I don't think we've actually really talked about Tin Machine before. So it'd be interesting to see what she what she actually thinks um, about it. So maybe in the next episode I'll get her thoughts, even for a few minutes on <laughs> on the album. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. A little placeholder um, until we we get ourselves together again. All right. Well, take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.